Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Hello, welcome back. Listen, guys, I don't, I'm not a told-you-so type, but oh my gosh, did we tell you so. More information coming out today about the slow, slowing housing market. Those of you guys who still are in denial about it, Julie's going to tell you a story without using names, Julie, because we didn't ask for permission. Yep. Of a coaching Great. client she has in, or uh, a coaching client we have in, uh, she has in Oregon. Yes, Julie and I still personally coach agents. If you're interested in talking with uh, to Julie direct, Julie and I directly about being your coach, um, just email me directly, Tim at timandjulieharris.com, and I'll have you talk with Tom in our office, and he can give you the parameters of it. It's not easy and it's not cheap. So if you're thinking about you know, hiring us, just understand we're not easy and we're not cheap. We don't take everyone who wants us to coach them, and uh, we're not cheap. So there are your two warnings prior to emailing me asking if you want Julie and I to personally coach you. All right, so Julie's on a call with a gal in Oregon today, and she comes out of her office. I happen to be grabbing some coffee, and she tells me about this call she just had. Miss Julie, I'm handing the ball to you. Yes, well, and this is just one sample. This is not the only call that we've had going on like this, but this is very timely since it literally happened in the last hour or so. And uh, this is an experienced broker in a big city. And, you know, she was talking about how even after not even little price reductions, but significant price reductions, we're talking about if she's over a million coming down, uh, over 100000 If she's in the half million range, she's doing twenty-five dollars to $50,000 reduction. So she's doing her job by speaking with the sellers, showing them the facts, getting them down. However, dot, 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 this has not indeed created much more showing activity. And so this was a really uh, salient kind of a textbook example of what happens in a quickly changing market because I'd say – Certainly six months ago, but even up to about 90 days ago, things were moving more quickly. Maybe not with multiple offers, but certainly looked like uh, on the edge between phase one and phase two to a transitioning market. Now it's abundantly clear that she has flip-flopped right over to a buyer's market fairly quickly. Okay, so here's, here's the mindset. The that, yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on. You're, you're skipping a step. So this gal had three listings, each of which were $100,000 overpriced. $100,000 overpriced, three listings. Now, Julie's been coaching her. I don't know for how long, Julie. And Julie's been warning her, telling her yeah. that you better be careful. Julie, did she have these listings when she started with you or after she started uh, with you? Do you know? No, we've been together a long time, so th these are fairly recent. These are probably okay. in the past 90 days or so. Okay, Pretty so but here's, the here's the observation, guys. This gal was not using the new comps nor the information that we are giving her about the new market, and she thought it can't happen here. That's the reason I wanted Julia to tell this story. Because she thought, like many of you, it won't happen here. I'm good. Tim and Julia are just head or of their it's not happening and not yet. You know, she's not, exactly. oh, she's not severely skeptical like some people are, but it just didn't quite have the writing on the wall just yet. But I use this story to show how quickly it can happen. And I think that the agents in Manhattan would attest to that as well, that it, it yep. has happened for them. And many, I'm hearing it out of Denver, 
Miami, Orlando, um, lots of different places. So unless it's, you know, like a really hot first-time buyer type of neighborhood or has something else going for it, many of you are experiencing this. So where do we go with this? Well, I think the most important th I hope the most important thing that she got from our call today was that we have to shift our mindset and look at it from all different perspectives. Fortunately for her, all three listings were highly motivated, have to sell sellers. So it's going to sell. Her job is to hold on to the listings long enough that she's the listing agent at the end of the rainbow. So we talked about the fact that in a changing market, you probably will have to compete more on new listings because sellers will start to, to be more careful. The more skilled agents win. You, you're going to have to be more careful. We talked about on her upcoming, she's got two new listings coming up. We're going to try and price those closer to where they should sell for, if not a tick less, but versus Julie, let's rolling there. the dice on the high comps. Go ahead. But let's hover there, okay? So Julie and I as listeners, I always have to remind myself with as many people, you know, 150, 160,000 of you listen, there's no way, you know, there's not at least 20,000 of you that have ever heard us before. So for all the rest of you, I apologize for repeating myself sometimes. So we sold real estate, and that's a huge difference. And we sold real estate at a high level for almost 10 years, 100 to 200 houses per year. And we've, Julie and I have been in the real estate business since our early 20s. I only tell you this because – you guys are not asking your coaches, gurus, sources of information if they ever sold real estate. You can tell when they talk and when they don't give you drill-down information that they've never sold real estate before. When they're relying heavily on um, a lot of motivational shit, that's basically their go-to when they're speaking, trying to talk in big sort of woo-woo uh, motivational terms. It's because they don't know how, you got, how to actually help you guys solve problems um, with regards to your real estate transactions because – that is what you're going to need in a shifting market. Julie and I did a series of podcasts. Go back and listen to these. Um, I have a feeling these are going to be considered, well, at least for us, historical, archival type of really valid long-term information. We might even write a book around it. Anyway, there's four or five phases of the real estate cycle. We're in phase two. Phase two sucks. Phase two is basically where you're dealing with the realities of the new market, and everyone is essentially emotionally, un emotionally and skills-wise unprepared, and a lot of times financially unprepared for what will become phase three. That's when it's a, a full-blown buyer's market. In her market, she probably did not pay much attention. I don't know who this gal is. She did not pay much attention to what was happening as far as the market trends. She did not pay that much attention. She was using comps, historical comps, stuff that sold in the last six months, the shit you're supposed to use. But she wasn't paying attention to the days in the market extending. She probably wasn't paying attention to all the other things that we teach you guys how to pay attention to to know where the market's going. So if you go – here's the problem. Here's what got me on this little thing. If you go and you go to your seller and you say – and you're competing for a listing. You say, Mr. Seller, and you know, say two or three other agents are telling the seller they're using bad information. They don't know what the hell's going on in the market. They're thinking that the sky is still rainbows, you know, unicorns pooping rainbows, pots of gold kind of thing. In other words, they still think it's a seller's market. And you're the only one that goes in there, and you, you're the only one that's telling the seller the drill down truth. You're not going to get the listing because the, the seller's going to want to go with whoever tells them the highest price in phase two. Because in phase two, they're in denial. In phase two, the agents, most of them don't know. I mean, I know that for a fact. Most of them don't know that we're in a real estate reset. And even if they heard that we are or you know, someone told them that we are, 
they still are going to deny it because they don't want they don't have the skill set to get the essentially cross the bridge into phase three where it becomes more of a buyer's market. Most of you who've only sold in a hot seller's market are screwed unless you learn how to basically be more competitive in a market like this. Your centers of influence and past clients who have gotten you into the end zone for the last 10 years will not hire you when they know it's no longer a market where it's easy to sell listings because they are going to look for somebody that they probably don't know but has a proven, proven track record of getting houses sold. The people that perpetuate the fact that you can, oh, you need to build your business based on centers of influence and past clients, they don't tell you that that market is the first, that source of leads is the first uh, source of leads to go away when the market starts to shift like it is now when we're in phase two. Phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, phase five. Julie and I are the ones that coined these terms. Again, go and listen to the past podcasts. We lay it all out exactly what's happening, how to identify it, what actions you need to be taking. So when you're talking to a seller and you're in a phase two market and you're going to be – don't go in there with your guns ablazing telling the seller how essentially the market's going to turn into a buyer's market and the sky's going to fall. If you do that, you won't take the listing. That's the reason that phase two sucks. Because you're going to have superior level of knowledge probably to your sellers and certainly to your competitors. But if you tell them too much, they will think you're trying to underprice it to get it sold. They won't trust you even though you are telling them the truth and you won't take the listing. That's what happens in phase two. Now, how do you combat that? You have to take the listing overpriced. That's the bottom line. You might not. You might want to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive in pricing it right. Make sure you're using comps that aren't six months old, but are maybe only 30 days old or 60 days old. Let the other realtors tell them the higher price comps. Use, but you're still going to run into sellers. They're going to be like, oh no, 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 Tim and Julie. There's these five listings that sold five months ago, and they all sold for 50000 more than you're telling me. Yes, but what about the five listings that just sold in the past 30 days that are actually selling for you know, 50000 less? Well, screw those. This is what the seller's going to say to themselves. I want to focus on these other five. And by the way, the three other realtors you're competing against, they're just using these other five as comps too. Okay, whatever. You're not going to win, and I don't even think you should try to do that fight. So here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. Here's how you can be, do the ethical thing. Get the listing. Mr. Seller, listen. This is your script. Uh, modify as needed. Mr. Seller, listen. I appreciate the fact that in a market like this, um, it's confusing about pricing. I get it. And you know what? I can see now having been through your house, you have a fantastic property. I love it. The improvements you guys have made, the condition of the property, the setting, the lot. So agents, listen. You've got to sell the seller on the fact that you love the house. They need to think that you have an emotional attachment to the property. It helps that when you do, obviously. But you can never come off as analytical or non-emotional about somebody's listing because then all it's going to take is some very emotional love, love, love type. Oh, I love the house. I love the yeah. decorating. I love that, what, that warm aroma of cat urine in the background. It makes me feel like home, right? All they've got to do is go in there and make the seller feel good. And even an inexperienced new agent is going to get the listing away from you when you have skills. So I want you to hear what I'm saying. In a market like this, where there's a lot of consternation, a lot of denial, you're going to have to take them overpriced. But the way you do it is you say, Mr. Seller, listen, I totally and completely understand. You know, even though the market's telling us the house is worth 750, market is telling us the house is worth 750. Where you listening, podcast listeners? Don't say the me. Don't say the CMA. Don't make it personal. The market is telling us the house is worth 750. Um, I can see why you think it's worth 850. I do. I mean, now that I've been here, the great. It's no. Then you compliment the house. But let's do this. 
Let's agree that after two weeks or ten showings, whichever comes first, if we don't have a written verified offer on the property, Mr. Seller, that we agree to reposition the house in the market so that it correctly reflects the buyer's expectations. That's it. That's your whole script. And they'll say yes. Now, when the market gets a little bit more competitive or more towards a buyer's market, then you're going to say the same thing. But then you're also going to whip out a price change form with, that's uh, you know, predated that's two weeks or you – know, it says on top, after two weeks or ten showings, whichever comes first, if we don't have a written verified offer in this property, the new price will be. But in this phase two, as we're passing through into phase three, you can't um, – be that aggressive, but you will be soon be able to be that aggressive towards the end of the year into next year. Are you listening, podcast listeners? This is called skill set. This is what you have to learn when you're dealing with sellers. Otherwise, you won't take listings. And you'll rationalize your failure by saying, well, I told them the truth. Those sons of bitches didn't listen. Yo, I told them the truth about the price, and they didn't listen. All these other agents lied. Oh, and Sally drive around listed the house for 50000 more than I said. Then Sally gets the price down in three weeks, and Sally gets the closing three months later, and she gets paid. But you were right about price. No, you were wrong about price. You didn't get paid. Okay? So, Julie, I didn't mean to step on your notes, but listeners, it's really important that you understand. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, the the thing is that everything that you said is true. Um, You know, the, the other thing that happens in a changing market, and, you know, my coaching client in the Northwest there is seeing this, Sellers who have to sell and don't sell right away get progressively, shall we say, more aggressive, almost combative on the edge of abusive in some cases. So it does take a higher level of skill to manage their emotions and to make it to the finish line with them. And one of the things that I was talking to her about, because this is a, it is a stressful thing to go through and have to polish your skills oh, yeah. and have to have more conversations you know, our our talk today that will probably become part of tomorrow's podcast is about negotiating. You know, for years, agents, you know, perception of negotiating was just choosing an offer, right? Which is the best offer? That's not really negotiating. It, all of what you're doing is harder. You have to compete for listings. You have to counsel buyers not to overly lowball. You have to show more property when there's more inventory. Everything gets to be more of a challenge. So, we have to sharpen the skill and embrace the changing market and be ready to handle what it gives you. One of those things is a longer-term relationship with your sellers. And what we worked on was realizing that from an agent's standpoint, this is not all bad. You now have time to lead generate off of your listings. You haven't had that time in a low inventory, hot seller's market. Now you should be doing coming soon strategies still, but also open houses, 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE, home brochures on your sign, you know, sneak preview open houses, all of these things that generate you business, which many of you have never experienced before because it's sold before you were able to do that. So it's, it's not all bad. You just have to embrace it. And we also talked about the fact that the weaker agents will get out, which leaves you with stiffer competition. Agents who have been there, done that, seen this three or four times before, know exactly what to do. Not that there's any pressure to, you know, up your skills or anything, but just saying, <laughs> okay? So we have to be really frosty on this stuff. And I want to segue into our talk about how to keep your cool when negotiating. You may have renamed this podcast, but that's what my notes say. No, I didn't. But, uh, but really, we've okay. been talking. But we've been talking about it really for the past mm-hmm. few minutes because this is all negotiating. In in a market yeah, like what we're in, you're going to be negotiating constantly. 
Um, and negotiating isn't always like you guys think, where you're supposed to make like a, you know, is it Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin T and the pluses and the minuses? No. You're negotiating when you're taking that listing. You're, I, the example I just gave you was you agreeing to take a listing at what you believe to be a higher than normal price, but you negotiated a way to basically get it repositioned on the market. When we give you a script like the one we just gave you where we said, Mr. Seller, after two weeks or ten showings, we don't have a written verified offer on this property, we agree to reposition this house in the market so that it correctly reflects the market's expectations. What we're doing there is we're negotiating. Notice, guys, I didn't say lower the price. That's something even I hear veteran agents making that mistake. You never say lower the price because you're negotiating on helping the seller to basically move past their ego and their strong desire to be right. That's what really overpriced sellers are. That's what their emotions are. They're, I want to be right. And, and, and their ego is saying, this agent is trying to steal from me. They're trying to take money from me. And most people don't negotiate at all, ever, or if they do, it's certainly not over financial things that could have a significant impact on their futures. So they are scared shitless, and their lizard brain, their circadian brain is in high protection mode, or their egos are, depending if you want to look at it from a different perspective. You cannot give that ego reasons not to trust you or reasons to basically wall up and you know, basically be, be combative towards you. That's negotiating using the right words that will be receptive to the seller so that when it comes to getting the house price correctly, let alone getting the price down, when it comes to getting the seller to see the realities of the market, these are all negotiating techniques. Negotiating really the essence of it, and Julie's got some written points, um, there, it really comes down to the phrasing of how you say things. So I know I realize that negotiating is tried – a lot of people position them, uh, negotiating as a – um, an ego thing or an analytical approach. Uh, it, it's a, a win-win and all these sort of things are what you guys are taught typically in lower level negotiating things. But what true negotiating is, if you want to really own the field and be really uh, legendary in your, in your real estate market, it's choosing your words correctly so that you don't offend anybody and understanding what words are offensive and understanding why. So when you can walk gingerly around the words that basically spark people's egos, you know, think about it. You know what these are intuitively. You know what words get you going, right? Avoid those words. Figure out clever ways of basically accomplishing the same goals. You are negotiating your way through a, a difficult market into once everyone realizes – I'm not saying it's going to be easier necessarily, but it is. Once people realize, once you're dealing with a market where the sellers know it's no longer a seller's market, where the, uh, the other agents know it's – you know, they, when, once the known information is out there so there can't be this – um, you know, there's not this back and forth and this, like, you know, when I envision this phase two, this is the way that Julie and I think about it. We're all crossing this rickety ass rope bridge. You know what I'm saying? You guys seen these in like, uh, you know, movies that seem to go on like way too long. Like how'd they build that damn thing in the first place? But there it is. And the whole thing's like shaking and every fourth board feels like it's going to, you know, break through and you're going to tumble down to some ravine that's a billion miles away. You know, Indiana Jones stuff here, right? That's what phase two is. And most people, most agents won't make it to the other side. They're going to fall through. You can't be that agent. And the way you battle against that you know, gravity of wanting to basically cause you to fail in a market like this, you're going to have to basically do it with scripts and knowing how to negotiate. That's the point. That's what we're trying to work, work through. Elevate your game when it comes to the word negotiation. Julie? Yep, you got it. So speaking of which, some good quotes to drive the point home from John F. Kennedy. He said, let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. 
Some of you guys have never gotten your negotiation skills on because you live in fear of it. Now is the time to get over that. Robert Estabrook wrote, he who has learned to disagree without being disagreeable has discovered the most valuable secret of a diplomat. So, Tim, you often say show emotion without becoming emotional. I've put this hand in hand with that. It's okay to have a disagreement between buyer and seller or between you and the seller or you and the buyer, but don't be be disagreeable about it. You, you have to remove your own ego so that you can do the best job for your client. So I wrote down some simple strategies to keep your cool and maybe some negotiation affirmations to start out with. I feel calm and in control when I negotiate because I, point number one, I actually know my client's motivation. That can greatly change how you handle a negotiation. Are they actually motivated? Do they have to sell the house or is keeping it as a rental an option? Do you know your motivation, to, their motivation today? Maybe that's different than 90 days ago when you listed it. Changes all the time. So before you enter into any negotiation, you have to know your client's motivation. Number two, related to this, know their time frame. And I would also add to that, when you are on one or the other side of the trans <clears throat> excuse me, transaction, you have to know the other side's motivation and time frame as well, right? So if you are trying to negotiate with somebody who isn't all that motivated because that seller has a house that just started new construction and they've got all time in the world and they're going to try their higher price and your buyer's coming in low, well, that's totally different than the seller who has a vacant house, they've already closed on the new house, and they're itching to get it gone. If you don't know the facts, it's hard for you to be in control. Anything you want to add to that, Tim? These guys haven't nope, had to do a lot of good. this before. So. No, they haven't, because they haven't ever sold in the real market. They're going to, though. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the real market. Number three, you must know your client's numbers, buyer net sheet, seller net sheet. Secret, it's not always about the money. Sometimes it's about time frame, convenience, or even, most commonly, the stainless steel fridge, the uh, hot tub, or the big screen TV. Remember all the deals where we did, where we weren't hashing it out over price? It was like, so help me God, I'm taking my stainless steel refrigerator with me. You have to know what's most important to them. If you don't know, ask them. That's okay. But so many times in Premier Coaching, Tim, this, this type of thing is coming up with having to go now to your seller with a price that's less than they thought they were going to get. And I always ask our listeners, our coaching clients, have you done a net sheet which actually shows them the money they're walking away with with this offer? Can they still accomplish their goal even though they're walking away with $10,000 less? Probably they can. You just can't frame it that way because you haven't figured out the numbers for them. So, again, trying to negotiate without all the facts will work against you. Point number four, stuff to know when you're getting ready to negotiate. Know the average days on the market for the subject property that you're negotiating on, particularly in a changing market where your personal market might be very mixed, right? So in the case of my Oregon client, the three properties she's struggling with right now are all condos. Her next two listings are houses. The average days on the market, the list to sell price ratio, the expectations, probably are going to be very different because condos are usually affected first, but we're going to do our research and know our facts. So the deal you're writing today, if the average days on the market, it, maybe it's high-end luxury, and the average days is like 1,000 plus, and they sh they're lucky to have an offer at all, versus the first-time homebuyer house that you're going to write on tomorrow, which is in a hot little pocket and sells in 10 days or less for full list. 
you have to know your stuff on the subject property. Same thing for point number five, know the average list to sell price ratio for the subject property you are negotiating on. Simple enough. List to sell price ratio is just the difference between the list price and what ultimately it closes for. You can see that in your MLS and your comps, it figures it out for you. So I'm going kind of fast, you can feel free to interrupt me. But number six, and this is where a lot of you guys don't make this call yet. This is becoming more and more critical. Know the other client's motivation, time frame, situation. Call the other agent. Are there other offers? Are the offers cash? Are they the, own, the agent's own client? It's not always about the money or only about the money. You've got to know the big picture situation. What else is important to the other side that maybe you can give them, even if your price is a little bit lower, what else can you give them that will make you win? either in terms of you know, your price, your terms, your time frame, but you've got to call that listing agent. Oh, they never call, you know, I'm always in voicemail. Track them down. You guys know how to text and voicemail and call their broker and find out what the skinny is. So don't go forward without knowing more about the other side. And I think we'll save probably the last five points for tomorrow's podcast because this has been a lot for them to digest. Don't ignore your changing market. Yes, it is ha happening around you, Maybe not in every neighborhood, maybe not in every building, maybe not every zip code. That's what makes this harder. When it becomes clear, as you said, Tim, when the news is reporting on it, you're seeing it in the paper, you're seeing it online, and the cat's out of the bag, this will get easier. But for the time being, you've got to deal with what you've got in front of you. Make sense? It's going to be more – it's more complicated just because there's like a surge of news that came out about the shitty housing market. and. You know, Julie and I have been telling you guys the market was shifting two freaking years ago. That's when we started hearing from our clients and we started seeing, you know, around the country what we saw back in 06. So we start, we've been warning you guys for two years. Go back and listen to our old podcast. Now, we weren't, it wasn't a big dire warning because we knew it was going to be sometime off in the future, but we did tell you the market wasn't going to last. New York City agents who didn't listen, they are now suffering. Around the country, we're seeing other high-end markets, and now quickly, like within 12 months or less, it works its way down to the normal price ranges. It's a normal cyclical part of the market, but here's the thing that's going to really make this extra confusing. For you guys, just listen to what I'm telling you. There are so many people out there that don't want you to know the truth about the market. These are the people trying to sell you bullshit for your business. They're trying to sell you the widgets and the wadgets and the, and the social networking, this is and that's, and the things that basically will sell you buyer leads and, you know, CRMs and all these things. All these, the huge influx, the billions and billions of dollars that came in during the last, you know, what Julie and I called it, phase one, where it's essentially a seller's market. During the seller's market where everyone, you know, even smart people with lots and lots of money have probably invested a little too late in these startup companies, and now they have every reason in the world to keep the, you know, the seller's market perpetuating because you guys are going to quickly feel the changes in the market by having protracted pay cycles if, pay, if you get paid at all. And when that happens, these companies that have been able to play into your fear, oh, my gosh, if you don't buy this zip code, we're going to sell these buyer leads to somebody else. You guys very soon are going to say, some of you are going to say, well, you know, I'd like to buy your buyer leads, but I can't because I don't have any closings. And then you're going to say, you know, I don't want to have to buy any buyer leads because I just, I've listened to Tim and Julie and now I have 10 listings and I've got, I have so many buyer leads, I have to beat them off the stick, which by the way, if you want to work buyers, I, which frankly, I don't know why you'd want to, but if you do, the way to get buyer leads for free is just take some listings. But what makes things confusing and what will make things more confusing is the cacophony of people out there that are not going to want you to know the truth about the changing market. 
They're literally going to be proponents of the, you know, it's going to last forever, the sky's not falling, seller's market, because they are fearful how you will react. They don't give a shit about your personal economy. They don't. They don't care whether you are prepared or not. They don't care whether or not you're going to suffer or not. So they're going to keep telling you what they know that you'll want to hear so that you'll keep buying whatever it is that they're selling. And I mean that quite literally. That's the fact. That happened last time. But, it, you know, look, the, the guy who was the chief economist for NAR, David Leach, I think his name was, he was like a freaking cheerleader for the housing market. The guy wrote two or three books about how real estate's great. Go back and research this yourself. It's actually kind of comical. Brad Inman wrote a great article about this going back, you know, 12 years ago, sort of highlighting a couple of things he mentioned I'd forgotten. But yeah, man, the industry was so full of itself with this fact that the housing is the greatest thing ever and it's never going to fall and never going to be a crash. Boom. And then what happens? All those people go away. You never hear from them again. They're just gone because they made their money and they're out. They sold you guys their books. They sold you guys their, you know, <sighs> I don't even know what, side stream BS about basically you know, buying into you need more buyer leads, you need to build a team, you need a fancy logo, you need to spend money on all these systems you don't really need. They're all part of the same thing because they're all getting paid the same way. All these guys have – look, one of our major competitors in the, co in the coaching realm, he is sponsored by Zillow and Bank of America. Literally, they help pay for his events and the sum of millions of dollars per year. Look, trust me, I would love for Bank of America and Zillow to give Julie and I millions of dollars a year to do more events, but that means that we'd be beholden to Bank of America and Zillow. We've had those conversations with all these entities before, and they'll say, look, we'll be glad to sponsor your event. We had a huge CRM company recently ask to sponsor all of our events for 2019 to the, to the point where financially it, made, it was a home run for us. And I said no, because here's what they wanted. They wanted to have dominant branding in the events. They, they were paying for it, so from a business perspective, I know why they wanted it, and I would have wanted it the same way. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They wanted us to overtly endorse them from the stage. They wanted us to have them up on an expert panel. They sent us a p specific list of ways they wanted to basically push themselves into our messaging. And that would corrupt what we were able to say to you guys. So if we wanted to you know, tell, tell all of you what we think about a certain something or another, maybe it's CRMs, and there's a CRM company that sponsored us, that makes it so that we look like hypocrites. That's what's happened in this past 10 years. The whole industry basically has gotten, essentially, it's sold its soul. And uh, you know what, guys? You're the ones that are going to suffer if you don't realize that that's what's happened. So when you're going and you're seeking out advice, or if you're looking for – some of you are going to be the skeptical, overly analytical types, and you're going to listen to what Julie and I are saying, and you're going to say, oh, hold on, i got to do my own research. I don't believe it. I'm going, to I'm going to listen. Then you're going to go and invite in all these conflicting people sending you messages, but you're, you're going to have confirmation bias because really what you want is you want a bunch of people to tell you that we're wrong so you don't have to change. So you're going to look for people that give you confirmation bias, bias towards your – uh, opinion or your thought that the market's going to stay the same, because really what you're trying to avoid is dealing and overcoming the fear of a changing market. You need to get past that or you won't make it. We had so many people, I saw so many people in the last, the Oregon example that we gave you today. That lady's got Julie barking in her ear once a week, and she's paying Julie tens of thousands of dollars per year, and she was in denial about it. And this is, I'm sure, a mega producing agent. This is going to happen, and this is going to be very costly emotionally and financially, so you just need to listen to what we're saying. Just assume we're right 
What happens if we're wrong in your market? What happens if all of a sudden you have better skills? What happens if you know how to negotiate at a higher level with, a, you know, with sellers? What happens if you're better financially prepared? What happens if you listen to all the things that Julie and I asked you to do in preparation for the real estate reset and we're wrong? What happens? Oh, I know what happens. All good things for you. So there's no downside to doing what we're asking you to do, is there? We're asking you to stop spending money on stupid shit that you thought would someday somehow magically uh, sprinkle fairy dust on your business and, and, and you know, give you free leads. Stop doing stupid shit. And look at all the ancillary service providers that you're paying to service the stupid shit ideas that you thought would work that aren't working. It's incredible. When I get P&L statements from these teams, sometimes teams like the Rainmaker, Tim, I have another year's passed. I get the guys, I get these emails every year. I listen to your podcast now and then. Okay, now and then tells me that they don't like what we're saying because we're telling them too much truth, but that's okay. But I want to have a coaching call with you. Great. I want you to email me your P&L statement. It, just give me your last month's P&L statement. I don't see, need, need to see 12 months, and let me go through it. And here's what I see every single time. They're making no net profit, like less than 10%, consistently. And it, it, look, this has been happening. This whole team thing that's happened in the last 10 years it's perverse because it's going to leave all these people that have essentially spent all these years spending really all their money, not accumulating any added wealth, with the belief that somehow they've created businesses that work for them so they no longer have to work, with the belief that they maybe have created businesses that are sellable. Those are all lies. None of those things are true. And now here we are at the end of this market cycle, the seller's market phase one, as Julie and I call it. And what are these guys going to do? Most of them, if they don't pivot, and they don't pivot fast, they're going to fail because they don't have enough money to keep the, the business alive. They're not going to be able to continue to feed the 10 buyer's agents they have, buyer leads, and those buyer's agents have never learned how to do anything other than, you know, being a, you know, like pissed off baby birds waiting for mama to drop a worm in their mouth. Beak. <laughs> right? I mean, is that the way this works? So listen, guys, please listen to what we're saying. And look, if, we're, if your market doesn't correct as much as a lot of the other country is, well, good. And in the meanwhile, what's happened? You've gotten better at your craft. You've gotten better as a, a real estate professional. You've gotten better at being able to counsel your sellers. You've gotten better at basically being you know, the best version of you as a salesperson. That's really what our goal is. So look, guys, if there's anything we can do for you, please feel free to email me. It's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Um, and also, if you've not had your free coaching call yet, go to FreeCoachingCallsForAgents.com. We'll help you in any way we can, obviously. Guys, don't be scared. Many of you, there's still time for you to get your acts together. But really, if you wait much longer than what you already have, you're not going to be in the same position you know, professionally. You're going to be in a situation where you're going to have waited too long, and then you're going to be playing catch-up with the market. And the fact is, the, the conversation you'll be months and months and months behind your ability to earn consistent income. And at that point, you probably will transition enough, and you'll be working at Home Depot. I mean, it happens. Nothing wrong with Home Depot. I go there at least once a week to buy crap for our, our ranch. <laughs> But is that where you want to be working, where you could have just listened to what we're saying and prepare yourself? You've got to tell your, ask yourself that question and be honest. If you need me for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. 
Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.